there! You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with lead pastor Rob Carmack. Enjoy the sermon! Um, God, just thank you that we're able to come here today um, and be together as we're kind of in like the busiest season of the year for most of us with Christmas and the end of the year and just pray that we're able to cherish um, just community today uh, and then we're able to go into the season of Christmas over the next week and next several days um, with peace and hope um, and joy in your name. Amen. So James was born at the end of October in 2017. Uh, he's my oldest. So at Christmas time that year, he was still a newborn. Um, and uh, so he was, I was deep, deep in postpartum depression. He was very colicky. He did nothing but cry for like the whole two months <laughs> that he had been alive. And I was just kind of in my own world. Um, and that Christmas, I felt a very deep connection to Mary because she also had a newborn at Christmas. And I just remember asking myself, was it like this for Mary? Wasn't Jesus supposed to be like perfect? So he didn't cry, right? <laughs> he didn't cry all the time, nonstop. Um, what does a perfect baby even look like? It has to be that they don't cry, um, that they don't just like constantly need to be held. Like, did Mary feel like a milk making machine and that that was all she was good for? Or was it different for her because she had Jesus and not like this baby that cried nonstop? And I remember just feeling such a deep connection with her of just motherhood and just really like the realization that Jesus was a, in a, a body, a human body, and he needed his mother just like James need, still needs me. And just, just a profound realization that really changed my image of Christmas, my image of Jesus, of just being in a body, of having a mom, of having needs. And then realizing like Mary wasn't just this like person that birthed a baby and then she was null and void. Like she actually raised Jesus. She like poured life into him. She taught him everything that he knew, or at least some of it. Um, she was actively involved in his life. And it was something that I'd never really thought about before, I guess. Like as his mom, she was really important to him. Um, so she should be important to us. And growing up, I grew up Baptist and we didn't ever talk about Mary. She was just like I said, the, birth, the womb that held Jesus, and then we kind of like kicked her to the curb and didn't care about her anymore. And so when I had a baby at Christmas, it, I really just honed in and focused on Mary, and I was so interested in what was the experience like for her? What was Christmas, that first Christmas, like for her? What was it like raising a baby? Did she know what would happen at the end of his life? Did she know what his life would be like? But before we can talk too much about Mary, we have to talk about Elizabeth. So we're going to pick up in our story today in Luke chapter 1. Um, we're going to get to verse 46 through 55 in a little bit, but um, kind of right before where our story starts today, we um, Mary has been visited by a messenger who tells her that um, she's going to be pregnant. And not with just any baby, but like the baby that everyone has been waiting for for a very long time, for generations. And then he follows up. So she kind of I'm sure she's a little dumbfounded of like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? Um, am I hallucinating? But also, he follows up with your cousin or relative, Elizabeth, is also pregnant. She's been barren for a long time. She's older in age, but she's also going to have a baby just like you. 
Um, and we don't really know why the messenger included this, but it wasn't until after hearing that Elizabeth was pregnant that Mary agreed to do this thing. Um, that's when she says, let it be done. And I don't know if the messenger was trying to give himself credibility <laughs> of like, hey, we did this thing for her. Like, it's good. This, we can do this for you too, even though it sounds kind of far-fetched, like it couldn't be possible. Um, but maybe Mary needed some encouragement to know like there's someone else that's going through this with you. You're not doing it all completely on your own. Uh, we don't really know. But in any case, after hearing this, Mary goes as soon as she can to see Elizabeth. And she rushes to her. And I'm sure it's, a, I don't know how far away they lived, but on, on the journey, I'm sure her mind is racing with all of the possibilities of what could happen. Is this happening? Um, I don't know if you or your partner has ever taken a pregnancy test that was like only kind of sort of positive. When I found out I was pregnant with James, we were not expecting it at all. And I took the pregnancy test and there's supposed to be two lines. And the second line like kind of barely was there. And we argued about it for a little while. Like this is not positive. <laughs> and um, so I made a point with the doctor's office, but for, um, it was like several weeks wait. And so I like to think that Mary was in the same place of like, I think I'm pregnant, but maybe I'm not pregnant. But if I'm pregnant, holy crap. Like, this is, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, this is going to change everything. Um, so this is kind of where Mary is. And she's also thinking about, like, on her way, what if Elizabeth doesn't want anything to do with me? What if she finds out that I'm pregnant and she thinks that I'm, like, this horrible person that's ruined everything, I've ruined my life, I've ruined the family's lives, and she disowns me. Um, but she's, still she goes anyways. And before she ever even enters the house, El Elizabeth hears her coming up the road, and she calls out to her, and she calls her blessed among women. And this language is a reference to a song in Judges sung by Deborah. And then using this reference, Elizabeth is calling her not just blessed because she's having a baby, but a blessed warrior because of what she signed up for. Elizabeth knows. And Elizabeth is not immune to shame. She is older in age. She's been barren um, in a culture where the ability to have babies is really the only good thing that a woman can give um, at the time. And so she has lived a life full of shame, knowing that she can't do the one thing that she needs to do. And in calling Mary blessed, is calling out to her, she is countering the shame and fear that Mary likely feels with God's grace. She's saying, in Luke, and she says this in Luke 1, 25, it says, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Essentially, she's saying, God has changed my social status. He's taken my shame. He's given me the one thing that I need to be able to like, experience life um, more favorably. And he can, and he has already done the same for you. You're not going to be known as the pregnant teenager. You're, it's going to be bigger than that. There's more for you. God has taken the shame already. And there's an, a really interesting juxtaposition here between these two stories. Mary is unmarried, and she's young, and she's pregnant. And likely everyone in the, that she knows is probably going to disgrace. She's disgraced. Um, Elizabeth has lived a life of disgrace, being unable to have a baby, and now they're celebrating that she's pregnant. And, um, Elizabeth's admonition of Mary is acknowledging this and choosing instead to welcome Mary as one of her own, as beloved and important to the story. In response to hearing Elizabeth's encouragement, um, Mary breaks out into a song that we're going to look at today. And it's a song of praise, hope, and excitement in the midst of what seems like something that she shouldn't be really very excited about. She's realizing that what the messenger said is true. Elizabeth is pregnant. She is actually pregnant. And they're facing something that's powerfully larger than just these two women. 
So let's look at Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his humble servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He's shown the strength of his arm. He's scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He's come to help to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will forever be. Amen. Alleluia. This song is commonly referred to as the Magnificat. Um, that's the first word in the first line of the Latin version of the song is Magnificat, uh, which is how it got its name. And she's proclaiming the message and the mission that Jesus later goes on to live. She's proclaiming that God is going to bring peace and joy and hope for those who are oppressed, for the marginalized, for the poor, through this baby. And it's important to note here that the book of Luke was written in between 80 and 95, or 85 and 95, so about 50 years after Jesus has died. And we don't know for sure if Luke is recounting a verb, a verbal exactly what happened or if he's using artistic rendering to kind of set up the story of Jesus's life that follows. We see these themes that are in this story throughout the book of Luke and Acts, uh, which are both, we assume, are written by Luke. Um, so it could be either, but in any case, whoever wrote it, Luke, by giving this song to Mary, is painting a picture of her as powerful, as intelligent, as strong, as actively participating in this, not just like being handed a baby and told to go about her way. She's choosing this and she's fighting a battle with the only power that she really has, the ability to give birth. <laughs> um, Luke is portraying her not as a meek vessel that's just used for nine months and cast aside. She's intelligent and powerful, courageous. And only someone that is really profoundly familiar with the Greek version of Hebrew scripture could have written this song. So again, he's showing that Mary is intelligent. Um, there are several parallels to the song uh, that Hannah sings in 1 Samuel. Um, I won't read it for you, but it's found in chapter two, verses one through 10. Um, first century audiences would have seen these parallels and been familiar um, with kind of what Luke was saying here of like, she is aware of scripture. She's aware of what she's signing up for. She's being established as a hero. And um, here she is, she's young and she's pregnant. She's unmarried in a culture that prides itself on the control of women and their sexuality. And yet she's pregnant um, and she sings a song. She's very uncertain in her future. And even Matthew says that her fiance, soon to be husband, Joseph, plans to divorce her um, without pressing charges. So her future is very bleak, and yet she sings. And not just any song, but she sings this song, this song that is so full of power, that is so full of life and hope and determination. Uh, there's a famous Christmas song called Mary, Did You Know? And whatever your opinions are of that song, I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, 
I've asked myself this question many times, especially that year after James was born. Mary, did you know what you were signing up for? Did you know that babies were this hard? <laughs> did you know that the life that your baby would live? Did you know the death that your baby would suffer? Did you know? And this picture here that Luke is painting, this song is saying that Mary absolutely knew what she was signing up for. There were no doubts in her mind. She knew the scripture. She knew the history. She knew the promises that had been made. And she signed up anyway. Will Williamson puts it this way. He says, as the pregnant young woman looks out across the Judean hills and sings, she thinks she hears kingdoms fall and the earth rock beneath her feet. She feels the child within her move. And so she hums a song of liberation. Liberation not for herself in the midst of a very dark situation, but liberation for a people who have known only oppression, a people who have suffered at the hand of Rome. And now the king that they've been waiting for has finally come and this baby and she gets to be a part of it. She knew exactly what she was signing up for. And she was gonna sit back and just be quietly waiting for it to happen. She was gonna actively participate. The coming of Jesus is the, is the light at a very, the end of a very dark tunnel. There was an expectation that the Messiah was gonna come and overthrow um, the systems of power. And Jesus went on to um, show us a different way. He wasn't gonna replace the seats of the power full and with the powerless, he was going to completely overthrow the system of power altogether and level the playing field and open the table for everyone to have a seat. And um, I don't know if Mary had the expectation like most everyone else probably at the time that Jesus would come and violently overthrow or if she had this image. I like to think that she knew that this baby would do something different that wouldn't just replace seats of power with someone else, but that it would be something completely new, completely different. We don't know for sure. Um, but in any sense, she knew what she was signing up for. She knew what to expect. She was ready for the world to change. She was ready for a different life for herself, for her family, for this baby, even if it meant that he lost his life or she lost hers or she was outcast because she was a pregnant, unmarried woman. Our modern image of Mary has morphed into just this very docile, quiet virgin. Um, she's kind of insignificant to the story. Um, but the reality is there wouldn't be a Jesus if he didn't have a mom. <laughs> and as I am learning, because I am one, moms are very important to their children. And um, they do like everything for them. And uh, I don't think that it was any different for Mary. She taught him how to live in this world. She taught him how to study, how to be a person, how to interact with the people around her. And she's not insignificant. She wasn't just used for nine months and cast aside. She signed up for battle and she went down fighting. And Mary were taught what, it's lo what it looks like to hope in the midst of a very hopeless situation. Not hopeless for herself, but hopeless for her people. We're in the fourth week of Advent, the last Sunday before Christmas, and there are four themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. These four things feel very hard this year. Um, not only we're in the second year of a pandemic that seems never ending with a new variant that, depending on who you talk to or whoever, whatever news you read, may or may not ruin Christmas. And it's very scary and it seems never ending. But not only that, as a church, the Carmacks have resigned 
um, and we're facing a future that looks very different. We've never been a church without the CarMax, um, and, but we're headed in a direction that feels scary. Um, maybe some of you would say hopeless. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but Mary understands what it looks like to feel hopeless and hopeful at the same time. Last week, Megan talked about a hope that was shaped by pain and suffering, a battered hope. She said, it's not a shiny new hope. <laughs> and I, I think that we can't have hope without pain and suffering. We would have no reason for it. We wouldn't understand it. We wouldn't know it when it showed up if we didn't know what it was like to be afraid, to be unsure, to be lost, to be hopeless. So this week, as we round out Advent and enter into the like official Christmas season, let's join Mary and sing in a hopeless situation, um, holding on to what little threads of hope we can find, knowing that one day it won't be like this, that it can't be like this forever, that change is in the midst. That is what Advent is all about, is waiting in the hope for change. Let me pray. God, thank you for hope. Thank you for Mary, um, that she is a picture not just of the mother of Jesus, but a picture of what it's like to live life um, and to hold these two, hope and hopeless, at the same time and live that out and be in the midst of pain and suffering and still cry out with joy and praise and excitement for the future. I pray that as we go into this week that we can find hope and even a little bit of it in the midst of darkness. Or maybe you're full of hope um, and you're ready to go on into the Christmas season, wherever you are today. Um, God, I just pray that we can find a little more hope as we move into what's next. Uh, amen. Grace and peace be with you. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening.